Welcome back to Chasing Dramas. This is the podcast that discusses Chinese history and culture through historical Chinese dramas. Today, we are discussing episode 69 out of 76 of Empresses in the Palace, Hou Gong Zhen Huan Zhuan. We are your hosts, Karen and Kathy. This podcast is in English with proper nouns pronounced in Mandarin Chinese. As always, we first do an episode recap and then discuss any interesting historical or plot details described in the episode. In the last couple of episodes, the main character, Jin Huan, has been working to dismantle her prime enemy, the Empress's faction. Jin Huan has successfully removed both key concubines that did the Empress's bidding. Now that the Empress's team is effectively destroyed, the drama turns to her last remaining support her adoptive son, the third prince, who in this drama effectively showcases that his intelligence level is on par with his not-so-smart birth mother. Right now in the palace, we have the third prince, raised by the empress, and the fourth and sixth princes, raised by Jin Huan. The former is an adoptive son, the latter is actually not the son of the empress, but rather her love child with the 17th prince. The third prince doesn't have the highest intelligence, whereas the fourth prince is very hardworking and quite smart. And the sixth prince is too young to matter. The episode starts with the third prince being reprimanded by his father, the emperor, for not being able to explain historical political discourse about the Tang Dynasty, which for us nerds is quite interesting, and we'll talk about it in the analysis portion of this episode. Zhen Huan, the fourth prince, and Ye Lanyi, or Ningping, the former horse tamer maid turned concubine, are waiting outside the emperor's residence. They hear this tirade, and Zhen Huan actually kindly consoles the third prince when he comes out. But already you hear the tension between the two brothers. The third prince is the eldest surviving son of the emperor and raised by the empress. Undoubtedly, there are high hopes. But unfortunately, he is not very gifted and struggles with his studies. The fourth prince, on the other hand, was abandoned for most of his childhood, but is highly intelligent and hardworking. He has memorized all the books and texts his older brother cannot. He also displayed in this scene his ability to keep his head down by lying to Ningping and saying he doesn't know these texts, even though he has them fully memorized. What's at stake here is obviously the position of crown prince, or the throne as the next emperor. The awkwardness, though, is that Jin Huan's real birth son, the sixth prince, is favored by the emperor, and even the fourth prince thinks that he will be crown prince. But as we know, that is not a good idea because the sixth prince is not actually the emperor's son. Jin Huan tactfully deflects all conversations around this topic. In the next scene, we see the Empress, Jin Huan, Qing Guifei, and her daughter, Long Yue, in the Imperial Garden, helping the third prince select a wife. There is a line of beautiful young women being presented to him as potential options. He doesn't have much of a preference, but the Empress has her eyes set on her niece, Qing Ying, hoping to consolidate power of her clan. 
However, the third prince is rather cold towards Qingying, which is somewhat justified because she is rude towards Princess Longyue when Longyue comes over to make some small talk. Now that it's been a few years, Longyue has blossomed into a cute young girl and is very loving towards her two mothers, Chen Huan, her birth mother, and Jing Guifei, her adoptive mother. It's actually really sweet and refreshing to see how well the trio are interacting with one another. To help the third prince get some fresh air from this matchmaking session, Longyue is instructed by her adoptive mother to take the third prince for a stroll. This leads to a disaster waiting to happen. As they're out in the garden, the brother and sister pair encounter the beautiful Yingguiren admiring some flowers and the third prince is immediately smitten. Yingguiren is a relatively new addition to the palace. Her real name is Caipin and she was uh, gifted to the emperor by Yu Yin, the concubine of the 17th prince, a few episodes ago. Yingguiren used to be a maid in the 17th prince's household, but has evidently gained favor by the emperor and is doing well for herself. I will say that in this scene, she is absolutely gorgeous. The trio have a brief conversation about flowers, and unfortunately, it's evident that the third prince is mesmerized by her beauty and poise. The actress Mao Xiaotong here is absolutely gorgeous and beautiful. Uh, the first time I saw this scene, I was like basically as stunned as the third prince. <laughs> well, this infatuation is taken to the next level in the next scene. The emperor is listening to Yingguiren play the Chinese zither, or guzheng. We'll talk about this later in our episode. As she's performing, the third prince just so happens to arrive to greet the emperor. He requests pushing off selecting a wife in order to focus on his studies, which the emperor allows. Before he leaves, though, he compliments Yingguiren's zither skills, clearly trying to get on her good side. Yingguiren, though, doesn't think too much of it. Meanwhile, the empress's niece, Qingying, is thoroughly annoyed that the third prince decided to not ask her to be his formal wife. The empress's headmaid tells Qingying she should first just be a lowly concubine, and at least she'll be part of the third prince's household. But Qingying refuses and says pretty hurtful things about the empress. The empress, hearing this, becomes frustrated and decides to appoint Qingying as a concubine to the fourth prince as a slap in the face to the both of them. The woman the third prince doesn't want is now given to the fourth prince as a consolation prize. Now, for those of you who have watched Ru Yi Zhuan or Ru Yi's Love in the Palace, which is kind of a sequel to this drama that came out a few years ago, this is technically the same person as Ru Yi, meaning Qingying is Ru Yi. However, in Ru Yi's Love in the Palace, or Ru Yi Zhuan, the story was retconned such that Ru Yi and the fourth prince were actually lovers and childhood friends. In this drama, it is clear that Ru Yi, or Qingying, and the fourth prince had no relationship prior to meeting, or prior to this meeting, and both the fourth prince and Qingying are rather disdainful of this pairing. But the fourth prince accepts it for the greater good, and by the urging of his mother, Jin Huan. 
this acceptance of this match is another example of the uh, intelligence difference between these two brothers, the third prince and the fourth prince. While the fourth prince accepts this new concubine, the third prince accosts Yingguan in the garden again and tries to declare his love for her this time and even goes so far as to grab her hand. Yingguan is rightly shocked and tries to get him to stand down, but he does not back down at all. She runs away with him chasing behind her. We do not need to tell you that this relationship is taboo. She is his father's woman, a woman of the emperor, technically the third prince's uh, surrogate, some type of mother. Why on earth would the third prince think there is any way a relationship between these two would ever work? That just showcases that he really doesn't use his brain enough. He has no clue how this could harm both him and Yingguan, not thinking about any consequences whatsoever. And you really have to feel bad for Yingguan because she clearly knows where her boundaries are and what she should or should not do. There's just so many things wrong with this potential relationship, even if they are closer in age, that the third prince is just pushing Yingguan to her demise. Ugh. Buddy, you're playing with fire. Ugh. Oh my and god. I would like to say, uh, this third prince is definitely thinking with his second brain. <laughs> Unfortunately, Jing Guifei saw the third prince chasing after Ying Guiren and is able to deduce something about their relationship being amiss and instructs her subordinates to uh, pay some more attention about this. Well, after this failed attempt of wooing Yingguiren, the third prince has the gall to write a letter to send her expressing his feelings. Yes, that's totally going to go over well, right? Um, nobody's going to find out. There's no evidence. What? Oh my gosh. We shall see the aftermath of the third prince thinking too much about romance and not enough about social norms in the next few episodes. The other thread in this episode is the growing tension in the 17th prince's household. If we recall, he currently has two secondary concubines, or Jin. One is Yu Yin, or formerly known as Huan Bi, and is the half-sister of Zhen Huan, so she's very powerful right now. The other is Meng Jingxian, equally as powerful. Remember, none of them are considered his wife, just his secondary concubines, or Jin. Chen Huan is out on a stroll with Jing Guifei and Ying Guiren, so they're like a little group, when they bump into the 17th prince and Meng Jingxian. Is it just me, or he's looking quite scraggly right now? We've rarely seen him so unshaven, and I'm like, what's happening at home? Well, this is the first time Jin Huan has met Meng Jingxian, and of course we know that she and the 17th prince are starf cross lovers. Jin Huan is surprised to find them here by themselves. Where is Yu Yin, her sister? This is unbecoming. Yu Yin must also pay respects to the emperor. The 17th prince quickly gives the answer that Yu Yin has matters uh, to attend to at home and couldn't come. Listen to Meng Xingxian's response. She says that Yu Yin is very capable where I am always sick and only a burden to others. Since Yu Yin is your sister, if it isn't too bold, I would like for you to treat me as a sister as well. Then, when the 17th prince tries to motion to leave, she purposefully grabs his hand. 
Everyone, of course, sees this, and Jing Guifei, who's, of course, none the wiser of any uh, underlying relationships between the parties at hand, immediately teases the 17th prince for his uh, luck for having such a loving relationship. Jin Huan looks slightly uncomfortable, obviously jealous, which the 17th prince acknowledges and immediately removes his hand from Meng Jingxian's grip. Well, Jin Huan returns back to her palace to find a surprise visitor, Ning Ping. Now, here we have two women who love the 17th prince and are going to gossip about the politics of the 17th prince's household. This is quite hilarious. Ning Ping's just like, mm, I'm here watching whatever I want right now. She warns Jin Huan that Meng Jingxian is no pushover. Yu Yin needs to be careful. And based on what we just saw, I agree. Don't underestimate a woman's love or jealousy. The 17th prince has to delicately balance these two women in his household. If he shows favor to one side, what will the other side think? What will their families think? Meng Jingxian and Yu Yin both come from pretty powerful families. It is a tough choice for the 17th prince. Maybe that's why he's looking so scraggy. He doesn't know what to do, how to balance these two women. Well, as Ning Ping leaves, she comments that she hopes Yu Yin doesn't lose herself in this battle for favor, and that she, Ning Ping, is ready to watch how this will play out. She is so funny. Again, she's like, I'm just going to go grab my popcorn and watch this firestorm break out. Sure enough, Yu Yin decides to stay with Jin Huan for a few days. She's annoyed at Meng Jingxian and all of the doe-eyed actions she has taken to keep the 17th prince, who seems to be paying more attention to her than to Yu Yin. The servants in the household also see where the wind's blowing and are beginning to sideline Yu Yin. Girl, you gotta step it up. Come on, you've seen what Jin Huan has done in the palace. I think you have some chops. The difference, and people will say, is that Meng Jingxian is educated, and so perhaps uh, in reality she's a better pairing for the 17th prince than Yu Yin. But just then, Meng Jingxian arrives. Yu Yin, not wanting to see Meng Jingxian, quickly hides in a corner. Small digression. Is it me or does Meng Jingxian have like the deepest curtsies in the show? Maybe other people do too, or curtsy that deep, but I feel like the two times she curtsied today, or three times she curtsied in this episode, I'm like, whoa, it's really deep. Maybe she just wants to show a lot of respect to Jin Huan because she knows where or how powerful Jin Huan is. Well, the problem is that Meng Jingxian, after she arrives, drops a bombshell. She's pregnant. What? But then curiously says, the 17th prince doesn't love me. He just pities me. I know how I became pregnant. Hmm, what does that mean? She then also says that I originally thought that the 17th prince and Yu Yin were meant to be and should have been a great pair, but it doesn't seem like it. Yu Yin is also trying everything she can to please the 17th prince. I can't figure out the reason. We know, of course, that Yu Yin kind of like faked her way into becoming a concubine for the 17th prince. He clearly still loves Jun Huan. Jin Huan coldly gives some advice, and Meng Jingxian takes her leave. Yu Yin comes out of her hiding spot worried. She says, 
This woman is too smart and saw too much. If she keeps this up, her suspicious nature will kill the 17th prince. Jin Huan tries to console Yu Yin, and I suspect trying to console herself as well. Yu Yin must take care of this child. The baby is the 17th prince's first official child, and to represent her family, Yu Yin must do her part. I think this is also a warning to Yu Yin to not do any funny business with the pregnancy. We all know how easy it is to cause a uh, miscarriage after all of the things that we've seen in the palace. Oh my gosh, Karen, I just had a great idea. This part of the episode should be called the harem of the 17th prince. It's like four ladies, each being jealous of the relationship the 17th prince has with the other ladies. I think they just don't know who has a relationship with who. <laughs> yes, we have Jin Huan, Ning Pin, Meng Jingxian, and Yu Yin, all madly in love with the 17th prince, and he, you know, can't have who he wants, so he's sulking and, you know, making everybody's lives difficult. Yeah, pretty miserable. I'll end the recap here on this note. Yu Yin and Jin Huan are slowly recognizing the intelligence and cunning nature of Meng Jingxian. Jin Huan is, of course, team Yu Yin because of their relationship. Yu Yin has a long road ahead of her. Did she make the right choice in marrying the 17th prince? We will find out. Alrighty, now on to the analysis. There is a ton to talk about today. We haven't had a history and analysis-driven episode in a while. First, let's discuss Qing Dynasty education. The Qing Dynasty took the education of princes extremely seriously. Not only were they expected to continue the athletic Manchu traditions of horsemanship, archery, etc., they were also expected to excel in academics. Princes were sent to study at what was called Shangshu Fang with renowned tutors and court ministers starting at the young age of five. Their days were long, waking up before dawn to begin their studies of history, classical texts, politics, and military strategy. And in multiple languages. Right, they had to learn Han or Mandarin, and also Manchu. The princes got little respite from their grind and were expected to study and attend the classes daily. They stayed in the study until adulthood. Some dramas, including Kangxi Wangchao, depict the strict regimen these princes adhere to, but that also explains why many Qing Dynasty emperors themselves were very intellectual and highly accomplished. If you look at, for example, the poems and the calligraphy of many of these earlier Qing Dynasty emperors, such as Yongzheng, the one we have right now, and the next emperor, um, they are, we would consider classics and incredibly talented um, calligraphers, poets, etc. Next, let's talk about the political program in Jinguan times, or Jinguan Zhengyao, which is the topic at hand for the emperor to quiz his son, the third prince. Compiled by the Tang Dynasty historian Wu Jing, it is a monumental work. Spanning 10 volumes and 40 chapters, it chronicles the politics and military strategy of the 23 years of the Jinguan era of the early Tang Dynasty. I can't even imagine reading all that, but hey, I'm not vying for the throne over here. Another document that's brought up is 
Jian Tai Zong Shi Si Shu, which roughly translates to 10 suggested reflections for the emperor. This is my made up translation. This emperor is the second emperor of the Tang dynasty, Li Shimin, who is the one to create this Jinguan Times, which is one of the most prosperous in Chinese history. And Li Shimin, the second emperor of the Tang dynasty, is also one of the most famous in Chinese history. This document was written by Wei Zheng, one of this Tang dynasty emperor's most trusted advisors, who is well known for speaking his mind about the emperor and even criticizing him when warranted. This document basically gives 10 reflections for the emperor on how to rule and be effective. It's a throwaway line, or this document is mentioned kind of like a throwaway, but I find this interesting nonetheless for us to kind of like look through and realize that the emperor cares about studying historical Han dynasty emperors. Yeah, and, and today Li Shimin, the emperor, is mentioned twice, like we said, for this document and then the political program in Zhengguan times. Next, let's talk about the Chinese zither, or gu zheng. We've mentioned this instrument briefly before, but this instrument is finally highlighted today for this episode. Gu zheng, or the Chinese zither, is another popular traditional Chinese instrument. With records of the instrument dating back all the way to the Warring States period some 2,500 years ago, it actually started out as a weapon and then gradually transformed into the instrument we see today. I read basically you just used it to like swing it at people when it was a weapon. <laughs> so you have this, this like wooden block with strings on it and you just like yeah. swing it at people. <laughs> okay, Chinese ingenuity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it grew in popularity throughout Chinese history and the number of strings grew uh, from 13 to 21 or 26. It is very popular in China right now. Zheng holds its own compared to the qin and the pipa. The gu qin has been prominently featured in this drama, but not so much the zheng. The instrument itself is meant to be plucked. Today, you'll tape turtle shell nails to your fingers to get the crisp plucking sound. You'll notice in this scene, Ying Guiren isn't wearing any extra nails. Historically, people will just pluck with their nails, but it is quite tough to get the same crisp, crispness. Yeah, crisp sound. The modern zither has 21, 25, or 26 strings, depending on the number of octaves you want. It is made of wood, and there's a whole range that you could use to make the zither. And some of the decorations on these zithers are absolutely exquisite. Strings are now made of steel coated in nylon, but historically were made of horsehair, deer tendons, and I even read uh, silk. A funny anachronism, though. If you take a look at the zither or gu zheng in the scene where Ying is playing it, there's green strings on it. This is definitely a modern string. If you go find a gu zheng out in the wild right now, it's going to have that green string. And that's used to separate the various octaves when you're playing. That's kind of like a visual cue. Yeah, I highly doubt they had green strings in the 1730s. So a pretty fun little quirk. The piece that Ying Guiren performs is called Gao Shan Liu Shui, or High Mountains Running Water. This piece is one of the top 10 most famous classical 
uh, pieces of Chinese traditional music. It started as a Gu Qin piece and was transposed for Gu Zheng over the centuries. Legend has it, the legendary musician Yu Bo Ya composed the piece during the Warring States period. He played the piece in a lonely forest where woodcutter Zhong Ziqi was able to comprehend the imagery evoked in the piece, from the towering peaks of Taishan to the running water of the stream. Bo Ya was surprised to meet this kindred soul so much so that when Zhong Ziqi died, Bo Ya destroyed his qin never to play again. People still definitely perform this piece to this day, and it is one that we're trying to learn on the zither as well. It is certainly a gorgeous piece with the highs and lows and different dynamics of the mountains and running water fully on display. You can really imagine um, the rush of water when listening to it. Check it out on YouTube or whatever streaming site you can. Um, highly recommend it. Now, the talk of who will take the title of the crown prince has got me thinking about the emperor's sons. In the drama, the sons we see are the third, fourth, and sixth prince. The first and second princes have died uh, before we started the drama, so they're out of the picture. It's been years since this drama has been out, and a question has always plagued me is, uh, where is the fifth prince? <laughs> Why haven't we seen him in this show? Long story short, the fifth prince didn't serve a purpose to the story of empresses in the palace, and therefore, he wasn't featured. There was a brief mention of him by the emperor, but he's never on screen. Apparently, though, the fifth prince in history lived for quite a long time, dying at... 58 years of age, and had quite the close relationship with the fourth prince, or, spoiler alert, the future emperor. The problem is, though, that he was rather, um, ridiculous. According to historical records, he was arrogant and abusive of his power. He would play ridiculous games and was an alcoholic. Therefore, this meant that this fifth prince was not a threat to the fourth prince, who would be the future emperor. Thus, some historians actually say that maybe this prince was very intelligent by acting this way, so that no one would view him as a problem to be eliminated. This was his method of survival. It seems pretty similar to the 17th prince, although we see the 17th prince as a relatively upstanding guy and not a hedonistic man. The fifth prince is, I guess, given a lot of liberty when he's portrayed in uh, Chinese dramas right now because he's kind of like out there. Uh, for those of you who have seen Yanxi Gonglue or the story of Yanxi Palace, he is featured there, um, even though he's not in Empresses in the Palace. Well, that is it for today's episode. Not as heavy on the drama, but more with the history. Hope you learned something. If you have any comments or questions, as always, please let us know. Email us at karenandkathy at chasingdramas.com or follow us on Instagram and Twitter at chasingdramas. We look forward to having you with us in our next episode.